0: Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip is my guest. i have to tell you something, people. Uh, this weekend, it was an example of what me and Joanne's relationship is like. She was doing this great thing. She Benefits for uh, Make-A-Wish. So she took this family. You know, She was their ambassador. They took a limo from Universal to a, a uh, L.A. Galaxy game. She's there. She's doing this great thing. And I was sitting at home watching Sanford and Son. So basically, what's good is, though, I, I wanted a cold beer. And... And I don't, I can't drink IPAs. Everybody loves IPAs and I just don't like them. They taste like pennies. So I went to Trader Joe's and I got this IPA for $2.49 and it was actually pretty good. And it was 8.4 alcohol. So I drank that and I had a nice little buzz going. And then to bring myself down, if you go to Trader Joe's, they have this spiced cider. It's 99 cents in a 22 ounce bottle. It's 3.5% Three three point five percent, so it's lower, but it's a good thing. So I must admit, it was a pretty good week And I caught a really good buzz for three dollars and fifty cents, so I can't complain. Anyway, we have a we have a, we have a, a great guest today. Uh, this guy, he posts the funniest stuff on Facebook. He he always cracks me up. It's Gene Pompa. How you doing, Gene? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, my good sir. Yeah, it's, it's you know you always post you're always posting jokes, and and it's great because they're, they're so out there sometimes that they're they're funny. It's just, it just shows your writing ability.
1: It's uh, um like a big giant open mic. Like, I just always approached it from that uh, perspective just because, uh, you know what, it makes you lazy, though, too, because you're like, well, I don't even have to go to the club because there's 5,000 right. people that <laughs> are going to gauge. <laughs> do you tweet a lot? Uh, I, I do now. Actually, you know what I do? The opposite of what a lot of people do is I Facebook to tweet. You know, people like a tweet, and then it shows up on their Facebook I Facebook and I try to keep it under 40 characters well, no, cause, yeah, cause and you, then it goes to my Twitter.
0: Because I was going to say, because your jokes yeah. are very succinct. You don't know? sit there and put a bunch of shit in them. They're very yeah. like, right on. And that's the thing about Twitter. For me, Twitter, when you sit there, you when you start writing, Twitter's great because it, it makes you sit there and go, okay, I got to bring this this joke down. You got to
1: crystallize yeah. and edit. <laughs>
0: exactly. Well,
1: see, But that's the beauty. So what I'll do is I'll put something out under 40 characters on Facebook that'll go to Twitter. And then I just edit it on Facebook. If it doesn't resonate on Twitter, then I just add a bunch of sentences.
0: <laughs> I gotta ask you real quick. I know you're, you're LA born and bred. Yes, uh, indeed. What's what's your what's your feeling about the Rams coming here? Now, I mean, we were wondering, is there gonna be excitement? I mean, what do you think? Because you're, oh, yeah, you're, you're a lifetime long Rams fan.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're born into it. You know, it's a little bit like politics and religion on a certain level with certain sports teams. Uh, I think with some of the kids like the Raiders. uh, that, I think some of the kids like the Raiders that are from Los Angeles, it's because, first of all, they're stupid, but (laughs) also, their father and uncles may have been Rams fans, and so when uh, Flores came here, he was a Chicano head coach, and he got a Super Bowl while they were here, they got a championship while they were here, our Rams were pretty mighty, you know, for sure, from the 40s on, but we never got the The brass ring. And so the Raiders got it right away. But, you know, being born and raised in Los Angeles, you're born into knowing that Raiders are an Oakland team.
0: Right. They belong in Oakland, (laughs) which I call joe because they suck. See, that's that's funny because I'm an Eagles fan and the same thing. We've always been good, but we've never gotten over that hump. And and living, you know, an hour and a half from uh, the Giants and two and a half hours from D.C., Right? And Dallas, is, everyone hates I mean, Dallas. we're
1: no Buffalo Bills.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's still an amazing
1: uh, statistic There's, that I forgot about. He, he, he did five Super Bowls or the, four? They did four in a row. And he didn't win one. They lost them all. All with Jim Kelly, right? Yeah. And Jim
0: Kelly, Thurman And Frank, Frank is the backup. Yeah. Yeah, Frank Right. Or with a yeah. couple of them. And least. now... Yeah. And Andre Reed uh, was with the receiver. It was the same guys. Man. And Bruce Smith. And it, it's amazing they went and they went and they went. And it is such an accomplishment. That's For... never happened in any sport, it couldn't have. No, right? I, don't, I don't think four teams, a, a team has lost four in a row. Four championships, yeah. No, it's crazy. Going to the big dance yeah. and then losing all four. So you grew up in LA. Yeah. Now, 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 at what point, are you, are you a funny kid? Or like, how did you start this whole life of comedy? I mean, as a kid, were you a, a kid who got in trouble? Were you a kid who played sports? Were you a kid who made people laugh when you were a little kid? Or like? I, know I think I was all
1: those things a little bit. You know, uh, what happened, though, uh, was um, I was hyperactive. Back then, they called it hyperactivity. They didn't call it ADD. And and then I was experimental with the Ritalin. Uh, so I tried the Ritalin. Um, but it was too strong. A lot of side effects with Ritalin. Paranoia and stuff like that. You don't want to deal with that. As a kid? Yeah, when you're nine, you don't want to deal with that shit. Uh, so uh, nonetheless, that was pretty intense. However, my point was that I was sitting at home with my mom and, and my siblings, right? There's two boys, two girls, and uh, my mom was going through kind of a tough time. She had left my dad, and back then, if you're a Mexican-American female, and leave, you leave your husband just because he's beating the shit out of you and drinks and doesn't work, they're like, está loca just because of that, you know, like, well, those are pretty key reasons, you know. Well, you
0: know, You, you, know, you know, it's funny you say that, because where I, when I, where I grew up, you know, it was, it was a very Jewish area, and I wasn't Jewish, I was a minority, and we had, like, two Latinas in our school, and when I moved out here, when I worked in restaurants, I couldn't believe, like, the the Mexican chef would have a wife in Mexico, and a wife up here, and no one gave a crap.
1: Well, yeah, that was a very different generation. Our, the generation I came up in, uh, like, my parents were born in East LA in the 30s. And all my grandparents got here from Mexico in the early 1900s. So um, for our generation, like, we didn't actually have that much of a connection to Mexico anymore. I mean, we had some well-to-do family that owned property in Cancun. uh, Or Cancun, I can't pronounce it correctly, but whatever. Uh, And and here as well. Uh, But there was never, like, everyone was dead, you know. The the closest we had to something exciting, I think, uh, famous-wise was my grandfather jesus rodriguez his brother was a monsignor okay and that was a big thing you know in the catholic you know uh, community obviously and especially for mexican americans so that was like that was it but it, pretty much everyone was dead in mexico by the time i was born you know <laughs> the relatives they're all here uh so uh, they all spoke english first and foremost uh, my grandfather jesus would uh, be adamant about me speaking spanish to him and so because of him i was able to keep it together I was about five, I think, speaking Spanish, you know. Uh, English was my first language, as it well was my parents, but I was the only child out of the four that kind of had a command on some level of the Spanish uh, language. And so my grandfather, Jesus, uh, I was sort of his favorite. Okay. You know, uh, and I mean, I was, you know, an American kid, but I still kind of liked speaking spanish to him i don't know it was a connection
0: well i think yeah and, and make, it made you different than the other kids yeah you know it's like okay you know, and my you're...
1: dad was a scoundrel so i, I was looking for validation from a, a you know an adult male you know that was that i thought was cool <laughs> but anyway so yeah back, back then it was very different just because um your parents um i think some mexican americans their parents would be like oh you got to hang on to it or somebody will have a pitch or a story they'll say they were ashamed of it. Or that wasn't the case with us. Um, with us, it was simply that the uh, Mexican American guy that owned the corner grocery store, he spoke English. So your parents didn't really emphasize it or de emphasize it. They were just like, oh, it's, you know, it's not, it's inconsequential. Uh, the guy speaks English at the corner grocery store. He can speak Spanish too after your grandparents pass away. You know, on occasion, my parents would speak Spanish if they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. Okay. Uh, you know, when we were, when we were young, when, when things were better. My mom was, and this sounds a, a weird uh, transition, but my mom was a virgin bride. So, you know, um, she lost her virginity on her wedding night and all four children were, were with my dad. And so she really subscribed to everything that was on paper and how you were raised and brought up. And then, you know, that's why I love her so much and so proud of her because, you know, she was sort of an early feminist where she was like, you know, I deserve better than this and, and screw this, you know. And, and she kicked my dad to the curb. And even in the face of all the gossip and the you know the, the bullshit, um, she stayed the course and you know prevailed. And I think most of us turned out pretty good. I probably turned out the best because uh, I'm the most self-sufficient, uh, okay. you know, <laughs> on a certain level. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Was, uh, in Los Angeles back in the day, getting back to that, I will say this: you know, Hollywood and the entertainment industry was a different planet. You know, when you're growing up 25 miles outside of Los Angeles, and I was born in East L.A., you're right, this table is sensitive. It's very, it's weird. You know, people don't know. I kind of like go, it. I, did, I, did like, I, yeah, I, know, I had a
0: drummer on one time, and he's like, the guy last week who from Ken Aronoff, and he's like, right. yeah, Jack and Daniel and went, boom. But, and I'm like, the whole table's going, uh, and I'm like, my water's shaking, and I'm like, oh my God. But yeah, it's, it is I sensitive. I love that. You can do a cordy video. <laughs> bah, wah, wah, wah. Exactly. What we're going to do later. <laughs> we're going we're to do sound effects like that. So, so now you, you're, you're far away from, you're right, because you, you are yeah. far away.
1: Yeah, when you're growing up in the suburbs of Los Angeles, so was born East L.A., and then Pique Rivera, then La Mirada, right? La Mirada was predominantly uh, uh, Anglo, uh, white Anglo-Saxon Catholic, very wasky as opposed to me And uh Pete Rivera was half Mexican American at the time in the rest Anglo. So it was the mobility of the classes back then that existed, you know, in the sixties and seventies. That's how it worked. You know, you your parents would get a job. Some and sometimes your parents would work at the same company for forty years. Now if you work at the same company for ten years, that's high longevity.
0: Oh I know it's crazy. Yeah,
1: but back then, you know, we I had all kinds of neighbors who work at the same company, Rockwell, mcdonald Douglas, whatever, Ford forty years, that's what you know, and then they get the watch I guess. But uh but nonetheless, so we went from East L.A. to Pico Rivera to La Mirada. And so Hollywood entertainment industry, like when you're in the suburbs, that just sounds like, where's that, you know? Like where do you knock on the door and walk in and become part of the equation? So you're not really inundated with uh, um, the industry growing up uh, in Los Angeles just because you're being raised in you know the suburbs of Los Angeles. It's still just as far away as someone, believe it or not, in Davenport, Iowa. Right. You know, there there is that disconnect. I mean, now of course you got DreamWorks in Glendale, and you know DreamWorks in Downey, and you got oh, yeah, <laughs> you got Santa Clarita, you know, Beach, yeah, I mean, Man everything... Beach has studios. Yeah. <laughs> Different now.
0: So, Vista, you know. so when did you start thinking you could look into this being funny, and you know, and thinking that it's gonna a, a thing you're gonna pursue, which you've made, you know, your whole life. It's well, been...
1: we were watching Bill Cosby.
0: Okay, and and, uh, and, my, and
1: things were a little uh, sparse at the time. You know, my mom had just gone through the, the divorce. And so there wasn't a lot for her to be, it didn't seem for her to be too happy about. She loved us four kids, which was great. Yeah. Um, But she had to have kind of a steely exterior to kind of just uh, prevail. So Bill Cosby comes out. i never seen a comic before, really. So this grown man comes out, and he talks for five minutes, maybe seven minutes at the time, you know. They didn't, like, Probably ten minutes.
0: Right. It <laughs> right? wasn't like okay, you have this and a commercial and this.
1: Back in the late sixties, that's what <laughs> that's what it would be. You give him like ten minutes. Yeah, good. Give us your rest, Ted. You know. <laughs> so he came out, and uh, we all were laughing at this grown man, you know, and and I saw my mom laugh, and that, that made me very happy because I hadn't seen her laugh that often. And and she was really laughing, and enjoying it. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to be like that person who makes sad people laugh. You know, that's how I thought of my mom. Like she was kind of sad. Uh, and you know, the interesting thing about Cosby, and I know there's a bunch of side jokes we can do about his situation currently, but I'm gonna bypass that for now. I'm just saying my you know perception of him was also like I didn't realize until I got a little older, believe it or not, that he was black. Because, because. Cosby didn't do jokes about being black they were very universal uh type of things you know um and so that was an uh, an influence early well, like, on i thought oh if i can become someone like that my mom will like me more like really that that's kind of where it came from
0: well it's funny because <laughs> yeah. you know you do say about cosby because you know especially for me growing up 10 minutes from philadelphia you know we all yeah, knew yeah, Cosby, course, yeah. and and i remember you know i mean we all we grew up with bill cosby the the fat albert and i remember that i had the cassette the best of bill cosby and you know he's the buck buck story and stuff like that and it was and you never will see and also because you're you've been in the comedy for a long time too i think back then there wasn't a gender or a color in comedy because you know when you watch eddie murphy you didn't say oh eddie murphy's a, a black comic he just said holy shit well by eddie then murphy's he got it
1: but also with eddie murphy he was the first comic I saw even beyond prior, and, and no disrespect, but his stuff seemed more juvenile and sophomore. Prior seemed more adult. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Where with Eddie Murphy, he was like the first comic I went, and also we were gonna hate, think I'm a piece of, you know, saying this, but I was like, well, oh my God, really? Like, those are the parameters, so you can say whatever you want. He's doing like um, poop jokes and blah, blah, blah jokes, you know? It, it's not... Groundbreaking, right? You know, scientific material. He would do a few bits that were um, about growing up, like the ice cream truck. Of course, it was really funny. You know, uh, about the uh, kids waiting, excited about the ice cream truck, but the one that
0: doesn't get ice cream. Right? And I, I, I always, I always loved the uh, the barbecue, the family barbecue. Yeah. yeah. When <laughs> yeah and he's exactly. like, I'll buy them. Are you Goony Google looking motherfucker? Yeah. I mean, there's
1: uh, some things that were uh, more personal that I liked that resonated. And the same with Pryor, but Murphy, I almost that I almost really think, oh man, I got to do what he does. He's doing it at this age. I know I'm capable, right? And you know, but really, Cosby and Steve Martin were the biggest influences. Steve Martin I liked because his was methodical, and and uh, I always looked at comics that I would sleep, I would see on uh, the Tonight Show or whatever, and I would think, or you know, Merv Griffin or even Mike Douglas back then, right when they had the afternoon oh, yeah. shows. And, and that's why I saw David Brenner the first time. I think on Dinah Shore or something. Uh, and uh, I would think, oh, man, their stuff is my fault. Like, theirs is really planned out. I can't do that. You know? Or, 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 or they're really quick uh, off the cuff. I didn't realize it was so mapped out. You know? Right. And then with Steve Martin, there was no apologies. You could tell it was kind of mapped out. I thought, oh, you know what? That, that fits me. That fits everything I think I can put together in a weird way and present it, you know, absurdly hopefully you know uh, in, in that capacity
0: at what age what at what age did you sit there and say okay I want to start doing this
1: I think I was 12 and I saw Steve Martin on Saturday Night Live okay and um, someone had shown me an album of his at the La Mirada swap me right And uh, I wanted to buy a comedy album <laughs> and so I thought you know I knew Carlin and, I, and by the way I knew prior from Midnight Special all right. I yeah. didn't know Pryor from what Pryor became. I knew Pryor as a Cosby-esque comic. You know, I'd see my Midnight Special, and back then you had language barriers, and even though it's midnight, you still couldn't say bad words, and his stuff was hysterical. You know, um, but but nonetheless, yeah. And so with uh, uh, going to the Swami, the guy goes, "Oh, how about uh, this guy's really fun, right? Uh, he's recommending Steve Martin. I think it's the." I think it's Let's Get Smaller, Wild and Crazy Guy album. And I go, oh, this guy just looks like an insurance broker. I don't <laughs> think this is going to be my, this is not going to be my cup of tea. You know. And then I saw him in SNL, and he was doing the bit about how he was in Paris, France, and he was looking at this majestic, uh, I don't know, some sort of iconic statue, right? <laughs> and And he the bit was, and while I'm standing there, writing my name on it with a kind of spray paint.
0: Right.
1: And I just, it was just this perfect switch out of left field. Plus he's wearing this kind of stoic outfit. He looks very stoic because he's wearing this winter white suit. And he
0: always had the gray hair.
1: Yeah. And he looked really uh, authoritative in a way, but he was very pompous and then he would say something that would just negate everything he just set up. <laughs> and I like that silliness, you know, uh, so that, I kind of gravitated towards that in a way. I thought, okay, well, I, I want to be silly on stage. You know, I don't want to piss on people's faith or their politics. You know, so that, other people are good at that. That's not my, you know, forte. So I didn't want to do that. I wanted just to be silly and funny like Steve Martin, Yeah. You know?
0: So you decide you want to do this comedy. So now now, where do you, what do you do with it? I mean, you're in L.A. And as you said, though, it does seem further away. I mean, you know. Yeah. So do you have any idea? I mean. You, I mean, when well, you're 12, well, so of course. Now, but when you're getting older, how did you start grooming into getting? Well, into at it? a
1: certain point, my brother was, my brother was going to USC, and my mom and I weren't getting along, and and so, uh, you know, she was done with me and my shenanigans. So I I asked my brother if I could stay with him at SC, and he said no, you can't. He goes, but I can get an apartment off campus. Uh, mom will pay for half of it because I want to go to Hollywood High School. I, go, I want I want to take theater at Hollywood High School. I had taken you know uh, theater at La Mirada High School, and now I thought, oh, you know, I want to I want to go where I think I can actually get um, some legit knowledge. So I, I went to Hollywood High for about a, a semester, and then uh, my mom had come out to visit us. We were living off of Santa Monica Boulevard in Beachwood, and there was a lot of um, gay whores, gay uh, hookers. You know, and Hustler's and you know, and I was young, I was sixteen. I just been exposed to the gay community and gay culture. My mom hadn't, you know, she'd been raised in East LA, so you know, her brothers, you know, gays guys are queer, you know, or, right, you know, whatever. But they're like you know, they're not even bad guys, that's just how they're conditioned, you know. So so she has this sort of uh concern about gays, you know, that they're predatory and and that, I suppose. And she came out, and <laughs> there's this couple living upstairs, and so she comes to visit me and my older brother, Mario, <laughs> and so she's there visiting, and like one of the guys from upstairs was very flamboyant. He walks in, and he puts his hands on his hips, and he goes, you know, Mario, you should really close your door, because any weirdo could just walk in here, <laughs> right, <laughs> my mom was just sort of you know didn't know what to make of it (laughs) but the irony of him putting his hands on his hips and i loved him because he was very funny and so was his roommate they were very funny and they smoked pot with me when i was 16 You know, try to get pot when you're 16 you know and they would free up pot and blow jumps well whatever you try these things one time couldn't hurt couldn't <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so what does your, your mom do does she make you move home she makes me move home right <laughs> and, uh, and she's like you should
1: just uh, uh, finish up at La Mirada, right?" so I had some issues with La Mirada with my uh, GPA and uh, I was like oh, I'll just take that Cracker Jack test and so I took the you know, the $10 test uh, uh, you said another two uh, cereal box tops. And- yeah. <laughs> 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 sit in the classroom for four hours and went out this general, you know, info. Uh, and so I got the, the GED or high school proficiency. And, then, you know, from there I'd gone to, uh, I think, uh, Orange Coast College in Costa Mesa. And they actually had a decent film department. Because I would tell people, this is absurd, I would tell people I, I was going to major in film. I thought that sounded more viable than right. saying I wanted to be a comic.
0: Right. Because <laughs> back then it wasn't it wasn't yeah. normal. People were like a comic. What, you know?
1: what the hell?
0: <laughs> You're not funny. Right.
1: Also, you know, half the people don't know you in that capacity. Uh, so uh, Orange Coast College for a junior college was like a Pierce College. Actually, it had a kind of a decent industry uh, thing happening with a nice wide. Uh, uh, they casted a wide net. You know, theater, improv. You know, motion picture sound, all this stuff. You know. Uh, so when I went there and, and took improv, then I just got to the point where I was like, I want, I want to be an actor and a writer. You know. And so co- uh, stand up was something I always had in the back of my head. I'm like, okay, well that's, that's what you always wanted to do. That, that epitomizes both of those. Uh, you know, creative disciplines and to be pretentious. But you know what I mean? Like I'm like, that would encompass both of them. So then I'm like, all right, well just go up there and it's trial and error. You know, first couple of times it's very dehumanizing. You know, or or you know what
0: happens? First time went great, right? First first oh, joke. That always something. I where would you go to though? Where would you go to do that? I went to the comedy store. Okay, so you you were just you you were like starting off, you know, yeah. an open mic.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm see I'm hanging out at the comedy store for about a year. I'm watching people, Kinnison, uh, Louis, um, Roseanne, uh maybe even more than that, maybe even like a year and a half, two years. And then finally I'm like, okay, you got to grab some balls and, and do it. So I had gone there one night and I used to sell shoes. It was a shoe dog. So I, I went there one night to sign up um, for the open mic, but I missed it. And Freddie Asparagus was the one in charge for making this a um, So I missed it. And he goes, okay, well, you guys, you can um, come into the main room and do this improv that we do. I thought, okay, that's cool. I'll do it. You know? And the lights were very intense. I didn't know how that was gonna be. And the lights are really intense. So, uh, whatever, we do this weird radio, radio thing. And then I'm back in the original room and I'm sitting there watching the, uh, you know, it would be open mics from seven to eight. Eight to nine would be professionals that wanted to become regulars. And then something like, whatever it was, uh, nine to 10 or the rest of that would be pros. Shanling, yeah, like I said, tennis will come on last. And so uh, I was sitting next to Mitzi. She would sit in the back. And I didn't know what she was sitting there. And, and no one said anything to me, and I was just like sitting next to her. And then I found out she was the owner. And I said, Man, I went in the I missed the sign ups and I went in the main room. You can't see anything with those lights. You guys should dim those lights, you know? <laughs> 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 and she's like, Well, <laughs> that's not Oh well, you know, because I don't think we're gonna do the lights. And then she goes, matter fact, she goes, give this guy the light, right? The guy that was on stage. Like, hey, why'd you give him the light? You know how you are when you're young. You don't know, like, not to ask him much a bunch of stupid questions. And you know what she said? She go, Can I see the F word on here? Yeah. Right? Oh, she goes, he says fucking around. I'm like, oh, and I was like, oh, shit. I'm not asking any more questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then uh, she goes, uh, what's your name again? I said, uh, Gene Pompa. She goes, and I was wearing a suit. I used to, whatever I was saying like,
0: Did you always wear a suit and hats? I didn't wear a hat at the time. I, okay. was, I,
1: was, I, I was just getting into rockabilly right after that. Okay. And that's, where, that's where the hat came from. Uh, rockabilly and swing and some, some blue stuff, but and my grandfather Jesus. But um, so she goes, uh, okay, I want you to go on next. And I was like, oh man. And <laughs> I was like a nervous wreck. I'm like, oh man. Is so there way anyway I can get like a couple of beers? I you know what? I don't want to ask her that because she's like, I'm a professional. <laughs> So I go up there, I do the first bit, it kills, I swear. I kid you not, it fucking kills. And I have three minutes, and I think I did four minutes, and the rest of it just fucking eats it. Just munches, like it starts off really high, and it's this thought-out bit, you know, and and it worked, it was my go-to bit for, for, for years, until you know, after you have to kind of cast it to the side, you, know, you don't want to be looking like you haven't written a joke in fucking you know, five, ten years. But, uh... So I got off stage. I said, uh, okay, what do you think? Right? <laughs> she says, you got to develop a stage presence and start to work on your material. I'm like, okay, stage presence material. You <laughs> have <laughs> no idea what that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I should write this down. <laughs> stage presence of material. And then she said, yeah, just work out around town for like six months or so and come back and maybe I'll see you again. <laughs> right. so i come back like a year later and i have about uh where
0: were you, where were you working around just different open mics or just different i mean
1: there was a place called edwin's comedy lounge in downtown i got in uh the tail end of that um where else was there oh and i would do a lot of talent contests okay i used to go to this country western bar in north hollywood and uh um, there'd be an 80-year-old dude playing the spoons <laughs> and some other weird stuff. And you would win, it was anywhere from like $75 to $100. And I would do the same kind of low-key, you know, five minutes that or four or five minutes that I was honing down. And a few times I prevailed, you know. Uh, the first couple of years, though, I pushed out because I would go up like maybe uh, once a week for a month. And then i have a bat set. And I wouldn't go on stage for three months. And then my uh, manager would yell at me for being late to my shoe-selling gig. And I'm like, "All right, I got to get back on my stand-up because I don't want—I don't want to be yelled at for for selling shoes anymore." Right. (laughs) (laughs) I got to—I got to find some sort of traction with this. Uh, And uh, so yeah, so after trial and error, I finally like a lot of comics. You know, like about ten or twelve minutes. Plus, I worked really clean. So I'd get uh, older comics or more established comics would ask me to open for them. And, you know, then like a lot of openers, you're asking the middle way too soon. You know,
0: <laughs> well, that always happens. Yeah, yeah. It's, always, well, it's like anything, though, when you're, you know, when I was doing it a lot, you know, you'd sit there and you do because it was a different time, like back in East Coast, it was the MCU, you do 15, then you do five in between the middle, would do 30 and hell I would do 45. Right. And when you sat there once you got that fifteen, you know, you're like, I I can, I can, I can, you know. I'll bluff another ten. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a difference because then you, but then you would come in, you would think that way. Then you work a club where you just see a feature that was just sick, and you go, Oh yeah. You go, Holy crap! I'm not even, I'm not even near there, but I think I am.
1: Yeah, and and also there's a sort of naive fearlessness when you're younger, um, where I would go to like these sort of hostile uh, bars and, and clubs that weren't comedy clubs, but, you know, you kind of didn't know any better. And so sometimes you would do well, you know, almost by accident, you know, um, I always treat the audience like they were smarter than they were, not that they were, they were smarter than the other comics treated them. Right. Cause I thought they were, I thought people had a, a, a pretty decent capacity for retention and, you know, uh, and I started noticing, you know, some of the mechanics of it, like callbacks and, you know, save lines and other little uh, knickknacks, knacks you know, little tricks of the trade. But, man, I remember uh, really starting to feature, and I'd be playing the Punchliner Cobbs in San Francisco, and theirs was 30 minutes. And you'd get there, you know, you're feeling great on the plane over, and then you get there like 30 minutes. Oh, shit. <laughs> fuck, (laughs) why don't you just have me headline if you have me do 30 minutes, motherfuckers? Right. Uh, But then you realize, no, that's part of the equation. Look, if you can't pull fucking 30 minutes, don't ask the fucking headline.
0: And you Um, also, the funny thing about also with headlining is, when you would headline, back when you do that 45-minute set, you never took an account that 35 minutes into it, checks go out. Yeah, checks go out, and, and so your whole yeah. the whole crowd shifts, you know, like the old stock joke was, who ordered the tax? Who right, ordered right, the tax? Of course, you know, of but so as a, as a performer, when you're not when you're older and you know what's going on, when you've been doing it for a while, you you're up for that. But if you don't know, like if you're sitting you know and you
1: hear about it and you want to negate it, you want to like you know, you'll, you'll have other people who who've been out and about, but you don't subscribe to their uh, you know perspective because. Maybe you don't think highly of them. You don't like their work, you know, uh, or they're hacky. Uh, but I had at least a dozen comics emphasize the back 15 minutes uh, and the checks, you know, either or or both. And 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 uh, I realize, you know, sometimes what I will do is they're like, how much time are you gonna do, you know? And if it's a weekday show, like I have um, the Improv in Irvine coming up March 31st, right? So I'll tell the sound guy, I'm going to do 40 minutes and just get the fuck out of here. I don't want to keep you guys here all fucking night, you know? So what'll happen is they'll drop the checks early at, like, maybe the 25-minute mark, right? So now I got the back 20 minutes of my set, you know what I mean? Like, uninterrupted, which is what I want. right? So I'm like, go ahead, lay down those fucking 10 minutes, and I'll fuck around in the middle of my set with that 10 minutes of fucking checks, and then... After that, most clubs, well, the improvs at least, they'll just pay as you go, you know, so you're not dealing with that shit. Uh, So I'll I'll go low, and then I'll do 50 minutes, you know. That's normally what I try to do, 50. I think 50 is good for certain type of acts. I don't do a lot of crowd work, you
0: know, straight material. Now, when you were featuring, when did you start getting TV work? Uh,
1: A lot of it was, you know, I was fortunate in that I kind of knew to, I mean, you know, uh, I had enough common sense, <laughs> I shouldn't say fortune. excuse me, I had enough common sense to realize you had to work clean, there's these boundaries, there's these parameters on television, and not just clean, um, because a lot of stuff could pass for clean, but it also had to be above the belt, so once I would gotten like MTV Half Hour, Comedy Hour, Kamikaze, um, a couple evening at the Improv, so I was like, alright, I should, and I did the A-list. A-list was, Alist was like the strongest, longest set
0: I had done. You know? that, that was in the, the Comedy Central and it was in a theater, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, um, I forgot the name of the theater. I was like three years in, so that was like a huge fucking uh, victory for me. You know. Um, I should remember the theater.
0: The name. Vic. Was it the Vic? No, theater it wasn't the Vic. No, it was no, in Santa Monica. Okay.
1: Um, it was a really cool theater actually, and uh, but so then I I used that because um, it almost had two clean five minute sets in it to get Conan and then Arsenio and then a bunch of other stuff. And then I just kind of learned to adjust. Like, you know, when you're sending him, like with Conan, uh, I did a lot of Conan O'Brien's when he was at NBC. I just learned that, um, Paula Davis and Frank Smiley, they liked it when it was mostly above the belt. And every year, a little bit like the old school tonight show with Carson, uh, with Jim McCauley, Like, every year, there'd be a new thing you could say a little edgier. You know, every year, there'd be something a little edgier you could say. Um, But unless you're like Louis C.K., who wrote on the show when the show started, him and Mark, no, no, Marin didn't write on the show. Uh, Louis, Tom Agna, Chuck Sklar, Ryan Kiley, Mike Sweeney. Um, There was quite a few. So Louis being uh, a writer, they give more latitude. Right. So he could say crazier shit, you know. One time I was saying something, and I and I said, because I'm Catholic, we're not supposed to do that. And they were like, oh, uh, standards of practices are worried because we'll get a bunch of fucking letters from the, the Catholics. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, they like, we're that serious still, you know, because by then I'd kind of fallen away from the church and stuff, you know. <laughs> I'm like, really? They're like, oh, yeah, man, they'll inundate us, you know. I'm like, all right, well, I won't do that. And, and it really was an innocuous fucking throwaway line. It just fucking meant. You know, nothing. Right. And the bit was essentially uh, uh, a man's, uh, I read this article, a man's one fantasy is uh, two women at once, right? Uh, So I told my girlfriend, I read this article, they came up with a good idea. You, me, and the girl, we'll all get together, we'll have sex around the exact same time. She's like, I'm not interested. I said, listen, you be a good sport. We have a three-way, and afterwards, I'll seriously consider proposing to you. So we have the away a month later. She's like, "Aren't you gonna propose?" I go, "Look, I gotta okay, be real honest. I'm not com- that comfortable marrying a lesbian." <laughs> right, so that's the bit because I'm Catholic and we're not supposed to do that, right? According to the Missalette, <laughs> So there's a throwaway line, and they're like, "No, you have to take that out. The I'm rest like, really? is okay." <laughs> yeah, really, like
0: like that. The, the menage yeah, a trois yeah, is okay, like, but
1: <laughs> I like the the throwaway line, like the most <laughs> innocent part. You know, he's, he's blaming it obviously on his, uh, fake faith. Right. You know? And then I see Louis come out, like the next year he does a set and he starts saying about Catholics cause he I guess, I think Louis's half Mexican, right? I'm pretty sure. But yeah. I think he still has dual citizenship. So he's right. He's raised Catholic on one side. Right. And like Jewish on the other, I think. Uh, and he says, uh, he comes out and Conan is obviously, you know, Irish Catholic. So Louis goes out and Derek said set I, at the end of his day he goes, look, Catholics, you're wrong. Everything you stand for is wrong. Right? <laughs> How is that? <laughs> and then you realize, you know what? Certain people have earned their stripes and they get. Uh, they can do it. It's, yeah. They get certain creative privileges. That's the nature of the beast.
0: So as you're doing all this TV, are you starting to move up now and start headlining?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm headlining more and. Also, when you headline A rooms, it's great because it's conducive. Um, But then you also headline a few B rooms to get to the A rooms, you know, or uh, you're doing A minus rooms, right? Uh, Some A plus rooms, but a lot of A minus rooms. The problem with the B rooms was that they could try to sell shots during your show. Um, There'd be no uh, crowd control. Um, sometimes the checks could be questionable. You know, That was very rare. I was fortunate in that regard. But that once in a while, I did have that issue. Uh, and that made it difficult, because now you're fighting, you're really fighting the checks. People are, they just don't give a shit. And also, they were giving away the shows by then. You know, it was saturated, like somewhat like it is now. Although right now, it's probably the hottest I've seen it. And also, the the, the work that younger comics are doing is better than it was when I was coming up. They seem to be uh, striving to be more inventive. You know, some people might question that because of Vine and some other shit. But, but overall, I think that the generation right now coming up is doing good work. Are you know, striving to do good work. Uh, but uh, you know, you, you would go to like fuck what was it laughs in uh, Albuquerque or something, and this fucking cocksucker, he's selling shots during the fucking show and uh and then like at the last minute you go hey you mind doing an hour 10 I'm like fuck you're paying me 1600 I'm like no I'll I'll give you 4550 that's it you know it gets this, this contentious relationship with the, instead of it being you know conducive and coexisting and making it beneficial to everyone you got these dickheads that they want to get over you know they don't and also they don't give a fuck about comedy
0: right that's the difference you know, I always say there yeah. used to be a club in New Jersey it was called Mitchells, and it was in Palmyra, New Jersey, a very blue-collar area. And the owner was Joe Donato, this Italian guy. And he loved comedy. Like, he sat there like, when you went in there, you ate for oh, free, you drank fantastic. for free. And I remember he was the first guy to feature me. He kept saying, I'm not going to feature you. That Scarpati guy's hosting you. See? <laughs> and then I remember he said, okay, I'm going to feature you on a, on a Thursday night, because it was a weekend show, but a weekend shows but a Thursday. And I'm doing a show. And it's he was he was gonna give a shot to keith robinson to move up to headline and i would known keith because we birthdays were the same day and you know and stuff like that and so i don't know what happened i, I must have not looked at my uh watch and i was supposed to feature and i ended up doing like 40. right and and i didn't oh, know okay, okay, i didn't okay. know and then mitchell's like ah he's like ah. i'm saying joe you gotta you gotta feature me and he's like ah, and then robinson keith goes he just did forty. <laughs> Feature the guy. So that was a thing. But he, this guy loved comedy. He would go up and tell a joke. That made a big difference, uh, yeah, didn't it? Because you went in there and you knew and his wife was a sweetheart. I think Vinny
1: Brand's like that out of Stress Factory too. Yeah, I mean. And I should
0: follow up on that. That's another thing
1: I've been a flake about is following up with people that are good. You know? And Vinny Brand's good. Like he likes he's a comic and he likes funny comics and
0: I worked with him yeah. years ago when we did yeah. comedy yeah, and he's had Stress Factory forever. And that's the thing, when you when you're a comic, when you go in there you know it, it's just the better surrounding if you ask any comic from the philadelphia area if you ever run to someone who's older say hey do you, do you remember joe donato from mitchell's everybody loves him he's just one of those guys everybody said and there's a big difference right well, because
1: yeah. these aren't these aren't guys that are treating it like they're running a restaurant and they just want to turn drinks and appetizers you know they they want the show to be good they want the audience to leave happy yeah
0: and they want know? they want people to come back i mean right. he he knew what his crowd was he had a blue-collar crowd and i would do something smart and go don't do that cerebral shit, Cooper. <laughs> save, save that for the save that for the city clubs. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know. So now, now you're headlining these clubs. Now, now I know you yeah. started to get in some. Now, when we started doing some TV and movie work.
1: Well, then I got I got in Living Color also. I went to network for in Living Color. It was me, JB Smooth. Um, who was it? Ian Edwards. Um, Derek. Uh, I want to say Derek Fox. Uh, cool Bubba Ice. Um, there was
0: now what year was this
1: this had to be 92 okay and uh this was right after a list and um what happened was they we all went to network and what the network said to keenan was we like them all so you pick so keenan picked i think marlon and sean wayans (laughs) 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 and then alexandra wentworth from um groundlings but then um he um told casting at his show to bring us in when they saw us you know something that fit us you know so i ended up doing like four um episodes of in living color the one three of them went to air one of them didn't and one of them was very funny and it was with jim carrey and standards of practices wouldn't let it go through i was forget about this and i wish they'd show it now but they still don't show it uh, it was called Black Blocker Sunglasses. And um, it was, remember Blue Blocker Sunglasses? Yeah. So these would block out black people. So you would not have to see black people, right? And these are, written, this, you know, and, and the writing staff is basically black and Jewish uh, writers. Uh, and so, uh, so I play this uh, kind of stoner surfer dude. And this lady, uh, uh, Alexandra Wentworth, she's been doing infomercial uh, spokesperson. And she's like, we have these uh, black blocker. I'm like, and so there's these two old black guys playing chess on the boardwalk. I'm like, well, it's like the black dude's just vaporized. Why does this mean I can't watch Family Matters? Or whatever the line was right. She goes, that's a small price to pay. And then uh, <laughs> she goes. So then Jim Carrey comes in as George Bush. And uh, he's like, look, Barb, just a, uh, what was it? Uh, no little brown ones, just a thousand <laughs> points of white, right? And he's like, "What about other minorities we don't want to look at?" And she's like, "We're glad you asked. We also have Jew blockers." <laughs> they showed like these acidic Jews walking by; they kind of evaporate. And so standards of practices wouldn't wouldn't let it go, but it was actually very funny yeah, and it's- silly and. Now it probably wouldn't mean shit. Oh, they would they would it would be easy be. show
0: could have done yeah. So now you're, you're doing this now are you're still doing stand up and you're still acting and now and Yeah,
1: the, the acting part was good. Then they, then it took a weird turn where like I'd go on these auditions, they all wanted to be a uh, Mexican American stuff. And the cool thing about Limited Color was I never played a Mexican American or an ethnic person, you know. Uh but with all these man, it fucking was overwhelming. And I'm like, you just saw my act. I don't speak like that. I'm not going to fucking do a Speedy Gonzales for you. You know, and I could be a little combative. And, you know, and it just it was really, uh, and it, it's gotten better now, but, I mean, it took a long fucking time. Uh, then I did a couple of films because I was uh, close to Nick Swartzen, and he had gotten in with Sandler. Sandler had seen his half-hour special and brought him in to do some films. So he was going to do a film called Bucky Larson, right? Uh, and that was supposed to be like a crossover between uh, Boogie Knights and Napoleon Dynamite, it was supposed to be like this sort of more, you know, little innocent, more innocent than it was crass, you know, but the way they kind of, you know, put it together, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if they, you know, were one foot in one foot out because they had a decent budget, but the movie didn't do real well, but I liked the part, you know, the part was cool. And it was a long part. I got to play a gay hairdresser and makeup
0: artist. I saw it. You, yeah. Yeah, you, you were, uh, you kept getting, come on. Yeah, and I, could, <laughs> and I could fuck
1: around, you know, and say weird shit. And then, so that that brought me to a table read for uh, Just Go With It. Uh, and then uh, Sandler had me read like three characters on Bucky Larson. Then he gave me the biggest part, which was cool. You know, because it's also for a younger character. It's supposed to be for a 25-year-old when I was 40. Um, but, uh, with just go with it, he had me read for two different characters, I think. And then he, he asked me which one I wanted to do. And I said, I'm, I'm, you know, what am I gonna say? I'm like, I, cause I like both of them. So he gave me the one where I played the delivery guy with the fake boobs. And I got to grab Jennifer Aniston's breasts. And then when I fucking totally made it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, a couple of days later, in my pet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she was like, oh, You're drinking wine. <laughs> she <you're>... came down <laughs> to the basement. We had our
1: <laughs> bottle service.
0: <laughs> now, what is that? I mean, it must be a great feeling for you to be in a big budget movie because, you know, a lot yeah. of people, I mean, you know, let's get real. You know, a lot of comics. That was his last big live action hit. Yeah. And now, and you yeah. think, though, a lot of comics, you know, and it's, there's some people who just love doing comedy. Yeah. And that's great. And But, you know, you're getting to be in a movie, it's a great feeling, because, you know, you still have your comedy. But a lot of people, you know, the comics, we know the comics, and they still, you know, they're getting older and they're on the road. They're get, they get frustrated. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I was talking to Kevin Nealon, and, um, you know, uh, him and his wife want to have another child, and he was saying, and he enjoys doing stand-up, but you don't want it to be a necessity in a way to um, continue a certain lifestyle you're accustomed to, right? And I'm not saying he he's, he's not drinking, uh, you know, whatever, uh, what is that weird shit that uh, the rappers drink? Uh, oh, uh what um, is that? Sack it's another weird fucking sea Rock or something? C-Rock? Oh Sirac, Sirac.
0: <laughs> it's 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 the uh, it's the uh, it's the grape vodka. Yeah, yeah. C-Rock. So
1: he's so like eating caviar drinking Ciroc. But uh, but he was saying he was excited about a series that was coming up because he gives him more time to be at home and control his schedule, you know, when he has, when you have a child, of course. And so a lot of times that's the incentive. You know, I get where, you know, you, you, you can do a film, but a, um, a series allows you, like Dr. Kent, um, he has these twin daughters um, and they're lovely and his wife's lovely. And, you know, uh, they mean the world to him and, uh, and movies are great and all that. But I see him now, like, slowly kind of sneaking half and half behind the camera. You know, he, he's the executive producer on, uh, uh, I think it's, what is it? Um, K-Town Cowboys. Okay. Uh, I think it's being released this week. And and then he did a 30 on 30. Is that ESPN? Does yeah. Think? Um, and, and he really oversees all the writing on his show and everything, and he's very hands-on. But part of that, I think, the incentive is because he gives him more time at home. You know, he can cherry pick maybe doing one movie a year, two movies a year, as opposed to having to do it or, or whatever, you know? Um, So I I get when comics get to that place because sometimes home is just so damn happy for you.
0: Right. Because the road, the road does get to you. And also as you get older, the road changes. I mean, you think about it, you know, our, our health concerns change, you know, it's not like, you know, back in like. 89, oh, oh definitely yeah 92 that's true. oh yeah, yeah yeah we'll drink and then we'll get up and yeah then we'll go we'll get <laughs> yeah. a club sandwich yeah then we'll go back to the do the show then we'll i come got back a 7 a.m flight you know what? let's just stay up all night yeah exactly it's like, <laughs> I, I remember i used let's to work, just stay up all night. i used to work with this i worked with this one guy it was at a club <laughs> called Kazi's. it was in newport news and uh i went through as a feature and the headliner was the type of guy you know brought like the bottle of scotch into the room you know oh, i, I gotta well, finish it oh i got another one in the car for yeah. tomorrow <laughs> and it's just you know the type of guy that takes his wedding ring off at the pool <laughs> and he's just disgusting <laughs> and you're watching him you're going oh. and you don't you don't want to become that way and as you get older the rogue gets harder. Yeah. because one like you you have a daughter i have one daughter yeah, yeah. and so you one know you, I mean. and you want to be around you know and, yeah. and just and like for dr ken i'm sure it's you know he can give his kids the life oh and those that and kids and don't, that... wouldn't have but he has to be around to do that.
1: Yeah, and also that that age is very different. You know, my daughter's in college now, so um, now when I leave, I don't.
0: Right. Uh,
1: it's not a concern. You know, she's very you know self-sufficient and and wonderful and, and great. You know, she's 20. Um, so it's different now. I can leave, and I'm still young enough that it doesn't really affect me, and I don't have the guilt and all that shit because I still have the Catholic guilt, like Jewish guilt. You know? Right. Uh, it just stays with you about <laughs> everything, and uh, you know, especially masturbating. <laughs> so i like going on the road now because i don't like her mom as much okay you know? so, so that gives me and then when i tell her mom well, listen i'm going i gotta go uh I'm, I'm gonna be gone for 10 days she's like oh fuck that's awesome you know it's never it's never like it was when when we first met she would drop me off at the airport and a tear would come down her cheek right. you know? <laughs>
0: But now you, I I, I see you on uh, Facebook. You don't really do, except for Vegas. You don't go away for long clips, though.
1: So. No, I only do like maybe one week a month on the road, and then I will do stuff in town, and then I work on my writing and just uh, submitting stuff and putting pitches together, things like that. No,
0: no. Yeah. What I mean, usually, I
1: mean, I, I one month I'll do two weeks on the road, the next, and then when I say on the road, I'll, Vegas for a week, Scottsdale for the next week. You know. um, I don't do like a lot of road heavy stuff. Right and the next month I might just do one week. Um, but, uh, I mean, and then of course you do things in town, you know, so like I'll do, um, I'll go to New York for a couple of weeks next month and really just to take some meetings, uh, you know, some writers meeting, uh, try to get on the tonight show and just do sets in town. Right. So that's two weeks. It's not really on the road. Um, so then I have, and then I have a show March 31st at the, at the Irvine Improv. And sometimes you can do these in-town um, one-nighters at the improvs, and because you got a door deal, it's enough money to kind of, you know, cruise by. Right. You know? You're not getting rich, uh, but that's okay. You have you have enough to cruise by, and you kind of, you know, uh, know how to uh, <laughs> stretch a little money if you have a lean month coming up or something.
0: Now, what kind of writing are you concentrating on like you said the tonight show but you also said you're working on pilots so now, when did you start deciding to write well yeah with and-
1: writing you have kind of three hustles you know uh, uh my wife's a vice president for a, a major network uh, in international television so she taught me uh pitches you know for reality shows format shows and someone might not like america's next top model but it's in 60 countries right so you know, who gives a shit, whether you like it or not. You start to learn that um, just the, the process of that it can be very lucrative. You know, So you have that hustle. And then you have um, the sitcom, you know, so you got to learn format and structure, and you're doing a 40-page spec, and you want to get staff in that capacity, right? And hopefully you move up to executive story editor and shit like that, and you get to pitch shows that are going to be, you know, uh, syndicated, hopefully 100 episodes right things, down the line somewhere somehow you know uh and then you have the late night uh hustle which you know basically um you're going to be a staff writer on conan you're going to be a staff writer on Colbert or, or seth meyers and and on those shows there's a ceiling you know it's cool there's a comfort factor because you're going to come in nine to six most of the time um maybe nine to seven You know, <laughs> but that's gonna you're gonna level off you're not really gonna you know you'll work there you'll make 150 a year maybe 200 if you're lucky if You get bumped up a notch uh, with longevity uh but in seven years that's where you're gonna be which is fine you can still do your stand-up you can still do that you know so i mean that's always a hustle you gotta keep keep on track i've met some comics where they've said to me outright they're like I didn't fucking become a comic to be a fucking writer. I'm a comic. Excuse me. I want to say say names, but I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they, they're very adamant about it. No, no, I'm a fucking comic. I'm not, you know, I'm a comic and I'm an actor. That's what I fucking do. I'm not looking to work in an office and be a writer. And some are quite the opposite. You know, I did stand up for eight years and, um, writing was where I felt the most comfortable. And so that's where I'm at, you know, so it's every, it's different for everybody. You know, I try to do it all. I enjoy all of it. My so, writing discipline could use some improvement.
0: Now, are you working on anything right now? Like you said, you have meetings. Are you working? Do you have a packet for the tonight, like for a late show? Do you have just,
1: I just finished the first draft on the Dr. Ken. Okay. Um. So now I got to go through and do a, a rewrite. But that's, you know, writing is always
0: rewrite. So. Well, now when but you... But just getting the first fucking draft out is oh, a bitch. Oh, yeah. And, that, and also, once you do your first draft, well, then, you know, then if they use it, then... Other the, other writers will come in and it, it changes.
1: Oh oh radically yeah uh, yeah you learn that too uh, and that that's the problem with TV too. A lot of shitty writers get into TV because they'll come up with a, a story pitch maybe and maybe their uncle is fucking you know NBC's vice president domestic or something. So um, you know they get a leg up right away and they'll have a a story pitch and they'll go okay well, will give us you know uh, write it out right and so they get the thirty five or forty grand whatever it is for the episode. But it's shit. It's right. total shit. And then you got 12 writers that beat the fuck out of it, right? And now all of a sudden, it makes sense. It has a semblance of order. It's funny. And this shitty writer gets all the accolades. Right. And that's, you know, there's a weird, you know, you have to admit, and it's not bitterness. I'm just saying, but it, it's just like this observation of there's a real unfair, unequal line of shit. Like a lot of the Seinfeld writers, I think half of them were good. The other half, I remember them getting development deals and doing pilots. And they were fucking horrible. They would do these gratuitous callbacks to shit that didn't need a callback. You're like, no, it's not how stand up works. You don't just do the callback right. for the sake of doing a callback. It has to be have some sort of you know.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. The callback. Yeah, it's, the callback was always an art form. You know, you had to go. I knew there was a guy named Nick Carmen Casantino, and he was the king of the callback. Like he was, he was, he was Nick Carmen, then he was Nick Casantino, then he was uh-huh. Nick Carmen. Casantino. <laughs> he's a Philly guy who lives in Chicago now, but he was the guy that very, uh, very well written, very you know, stand on stage in front of the microphone and do his monologue and hold the crowd crowd captivated but he would do some callbacks four times and they would work and you sit there goes cuz he crafted his act but a lot of times right, callbacks right. just sit there and go what what the hell is that you know it's like you're just you're like trying to look you're trying to look cool right, it's not right, working it's right, not working right, right. you're trying to use the mechanics that you've been yeah you know, we, we only have a few minutes left so so uh with the hats how where, where, where you always wear hats well, yeah. when you get into that
1: Well, my grandfather told me that I should wear a hat because it would be better than wearing a big, heavy jacket. Okay. Right? Keeps you warmer. Um, But then I had gotten into, like, rockabilly in my early 20s. And so uh, a lot of the rockabilly cats, the bowling shirts and the saddle shoes and the shit that I'd wear, uh, the fedora always fit. And then that kind of transitioned into swing and blues um so i used to go to a place called king king and i, I just always wear the fedora you know the fedora i didn't want to wear a jacket over my bowling shirt because it right. wouldn't look fucking cool you know i had to have the vintage 1950s bowling shirt show you know when i'd go to american rag and i'd pay a fucking arm and a leg for it to get an authentic one that was in you know in primo condition
0: now what does the crowd think when you come up with the the, the fedora because they're not used to that like, when you go, because you dress nice when you go on stage.
1: Yeah, I do dress nice when I go on stage. I I try to dress better than the audience, sort of like Steve Martin did, you know. I feel like they, you know, got dressed up to go out. On a Friday and Saturday, at least, you should dress, you know, better.
0: A lot of kids don't do that yeah. now. And it gets me, I mean, I always no, I, I always dress you know. nice, because you yeah. are... You know, because you wanted to look, and then there was a time, you know... I've Texas... never
1: been on stage in just fucking jeans and, and Levi's. Yeah. I, I just... I wouldn't do that.
0: We come from when Dennis Miller used to come up with the white socks and the loafers. And, oh, fuck. And I, and I, I hate was, that. And I was like, everything... He like, looked what? like a fucking gypsy <laughs> with that shit. <laughs>
1: fucking Guido. What the fuck was that? And then he was supposed to be this really stylish guy, and he could be on a certain level. He used to shop at these really uh, sort of, uh, you know, avant-garde kind of uh, shops in, in Los Angeles. Uh, was it Maxfield's or whatever? And uh, and uh, a couple other, I don't know if Maxville's is even still there, but he would pay it on, you know, he, he would like come comedy Garcon and all these fucking really, you know, uh, expensive, but then he wear those fucking white socks and loafers. You're like, dude, get Pennsylvania out of you. Right. Get fucking Pittsburgh out of you, man. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, but, but whatever, uh, no, I
0: I don't think that people have to wear tux on stage. Right. I just think be presentable. You but your people are paying money yeah. to come out and see you, and that's the bottom line. You know, if I'm paying dropping twenty to door, yeah. dropping you know for drinks, you know, on a date you're looking at eighty bucks. I want the person to be not wearing a beat up T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I mean,
1: I don't I don't wear a fedora and a tie. Like usually, if I'm wearing a suit, I'll wear the fedora. You know. Um but if I'm wearing a tie, I never wear a fedora because I think it's overkill. So Yeah, well you
0: don't want to look too, you know, too yeah, uh not
1: untouchables. Yeah. You know, big I'm not, big like yeah, Kevin Costner.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we gotta wrap up in a few. Um so what's coming up? What shows do you have coming up? Um I
1: have the Irvine Improv March thirty first. Uh it's a Thursday at 8, eight o'clock. Come on down and fuck around.
0: And now now do you have a website? Uh
1: my website is in flux. Uh, I had some. We got it halfway done. Okay. I'm thinking of taking. Have you ever made a website by yourself?
0: No. Well, I'll talk to you after. We'll t- okay. Now week. things are a little easier, right? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you uh, after. Yeah. So now, now, do you tweet? You tweet a lot. Yeah, I do tweet a lot. And it's I, I do
1: that simultaneously. It's at. It's a Gene Pompa. Okay. And now, yeah. now. And uh, Facebook is Gene Pompa, and then an Instagram the same. You, uh, my, I'm just learning how to Snapchat. My daughter's
0: teaching me. Cool. Well, I- <laughs> I have to learn how to do that. I want to thank you for coming on, man. I'm glad we worked this out because we had talked, you know, I always yeah. I sent you messages and uh and so yeah, but go go check him out, people. It's funny stuff. He's got really funny stuff. Go follow him on Twitter and it's uh, at G-E-N-E-P-O-N. And bad words. Some bad, and bad words. words. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. I'm at Cooper Talk. I'm always tweeting, especially during these uh political races. I have fun. Uh go to my website, Coopertalk.net. I actually just posted episode 490 up there today. So uh go check that out. You can email me, Cooper at Coopertalk.net iTunes, Stitchers, same thing, Cooper Talk, one word. If you follow me on Instagram, it's Cooper Talk one Also, don't forget my other website, stopthesalt.com. Remember when I had a heart problem a few years ago? Well, I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 easy recipes. <laughs> no intimidation. There's no pictures. You won't get intimidated. Oh, I don't it's, know. It's true. <laughs> easy easy ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. You don't need cumin. And what you can do is you can go to, uh, well, you can go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon, or you can go to stopthesalt.com. That way, I Stop make more money. Stop the salt. It's low sodium? Stop the salt. Low sodium. I didn't know again. it was low sodium. Milk, Stop right. the salt. Uh, get that, and I'll, I'll sign it for you, and I make more money. And that's what you do. So don't forget, follow Gene Pompa. Google Gene Pompa. Go to IMDb. Look up Gene Pompa. Pompa. I call you Pompa. It's Pompa. Pompa it. or Pompa. Anyway, one. I'm Steve Cooper. My only his hip is my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.